And uh, if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have ushers that are handing out Bibles. You're more than welcome to grab a Bible, keep it. It's our gift to you guys. We're going to read 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Uh, we started a series in the book of 1 Peter a long time. We are on the end run of this. We have literally only a handful of weeks left. Then we'll be done. Then we'll be transitioning into the Gospel of John. Really excited about that. Um, that being said, we have last week started kind of a two, two-part series, we'll be done today, um, on asking the question, what would you do or what should you do on the worst day of your life? And Peter actually has a lot of instruction to say about that. So with that's the title, by the way, what will you do or what to do on the worst day of your life? I want to read verses 12 through 19 as Peter writes to a community of people who are devoted to Jesus, trying to follow Jesus in the midst of a culture that's pushing back, and yet they're trying to remain faithful to him. This is Peter's word of instruction to them. It says, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And this is the word of the Lord. Why don't you all grab a seat? And as you're grabbing a seat, I want to pray one last time just for God's blessing over this moment. God, we ask you that you would inform our hearts and shape our thinking and our affections and our emotions and our mental ideas about the world. God, shape it all. We know, God, we live in a culture that is not benign when it comes to shaping us or attempting to shape us. God, we recognize our deep need right now in this moment to anchor ourselves into the historic truths that come directly from your throne. So, God, I pray whatever I have to say would be tethered to your wisdom. Anything that's not, if it's just simply my viewpoint, my opinions, God, let all of that fall to the wayside. And we pray that you would strengthen our hearts this morning to be the people that you want us to be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we've been in this like little moment, this pause. I think Peter's writing to encourage people to think about what to do when they are in the midst of suffering. Again, it's one of those ideas that a lot of times we don't really like to talk about, suffering. It's one of those downer sermons that a lot of us tend to think about. I'd rather not hear a sermon on suffering because maybe it's going to be like a bad omen for my life. And one of the things I mentioned last week is that the past two and a half years has shown us more than ever is that each one of us as human beings are more vulnerable to suffering than ever before. At least, we, I mean, we've always been vulnerable to suffering, but the fact of the matter is we become more aware of the fact that we are more vulnerable to it than we've ever even dreamed of or thought of possible. Again, we live in America. We live in all forms of, of luxury and, uh, you know, things that allow us to kind of pad our lives to keep us safe, 
We've got bank accounts to kind of put into savings so that we can somehow protect ourselves when we get older so that we can stave off suffering as much as we can. But the fact of the matter is suffering will come to us. And again, it's kind of morbid, but the reality is there. And what Peter's suggesting, and again, he's writing to a community of Christians that are trying to be faithful to Jesus. And their suffering is unique in a sense that it's linked to their Christian faith. It's not just random suffering where people are just committing random acts of uh, violence against them. Is that the suffering that these guys are engaging or encountering has to do with the fact that they're faithful to Jesus. Um, and I think there's a lot of parallel between Peter's culture and to whom he's writing, these people, as well as ours. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that there has been a, uh, a, a shift in American um, ideas over the past 50 to 30, 40 years, that we have literally throughout mid-century America, around 50, 1950s, post-World War II, there's a massive movement of Christianity. And it became sort of the popularized, influential thought. And yet there has been, since then, throughout the 60s and 70s, major revolutions to push back against that cultural movement. And again, I would say if you are a Christian and you are living in the wake or the hope or the nostalgia of some form of an ancient, there's, there's a deeper sense of suffering. Like it's, and again, the fact of the matter is that what I think Peter's saying is that as we remain faithful to follow Jesus, there are certain elemental traits to the life of Jesus that are going to run counter to the culture at large. And as that becomes more and more pronounced and we live into this world, we're going to find that there will be hostilities even more so against those that cling to and hold to uh, an ethic of Jesus. Again, if you're wondering what the ethic of Jesus is, just look at the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7. Uh, all of that is really kind of the, the charter of Jesus. And in fact, I would even remind you, encourage you that if you are a follower of Jesus, that should be our charter that we live according to. Not the charter of the left, not the charter of the right, not the charter of conservative politics, not the charter of liberal progressive politics, but the charter of Jesus. Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, that's it. And if there's inconsistencies from outside of that, then that's what we hold on to. Again, it's not a popular message. That message, by the way, will get you shot at from those on the left and those on the right. It's as simple as that. So the point that I would make is this. I'm not going into politics. You're welcome. But what I want to go into is just the, the teaching that Peter has for us. Because I think it's filled with instruction. Because as we find ourselves moving on into this life, we will find a greater sense of hostility coming back at us. So I want to just go through. We'll show you the next little slide in terms of like what would you do on the worst day of your life. How you answer this matters. How you answer this matters. I think many of us will, by the time we get to the end of this, uh, hopefully we'll discern. Uh, there are healthy ways to deal with suffering. There are unhealthy ways that deal with suffering. Uh, we want to obviously, for the sake of our time, look at the healthy ways. And again, these aren't, these aren't my suggestions or keys or whatever. These are, these are Peter, uh, who actually had gone through suffering himself. He lived the life. He watched uh, faithful people following Jesus. He himself was a faithful servant to Jesus all the way to the very end. He made blunders. He made failings throughout his life. He made course corrections uh, in, in the midst of those things, came back to the, the power and the presence of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit to give him everything that he needs. And we too can also do the same. So with that being said, I'm just jump right into this and we'll take a look at the first two just by way of a really quick recap. I'm not even going to go into them, but 
the first thing that we said is that you got to remind yourself that you are loved by God. I'm not even going to go into it. Just check out last week's message. It's on our website or on our podcast. Number two, you got to remember that suffering is a part of life and that you're not alone. Hence the uh, plural, plural words that Peter uses when he says uh, you, uh, it's kind of like saying y'all, y'all. He's not writing to an individual human being. He's writing to a community, a collective that are going through it together. He's saying you all are going through this degree of suffering. Uh, third thing, which is kind of what uh, we're looking at up to date, I want to jump right into this and uh, we'll begin to hopefully make some sense of this. He begins to talk about the third thing, which is to rejoice in the glory that will come. I'm going to read this little section to you again, just to remind us again what Peter has to say. But he says this, verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. So that's the first thing we'll like look at. Uh, underneath that, we'll say, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And fourth, uh, thirdly, verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory rests upon you. Before I jump into this, one of the things that um, has become more and more like pronounced or uh, for me just something I've become more and more aware of, recently read a book that the author of the book kind of goes through and articulates pretty well uh, four various elements that all human beings long for. And then she even goes on to say that all four of these are basically found within forms of cults and uh, pseudo-religions and various forms of uh, religious um, expressions. And she kind of goes into the acknowledgement that even in our modern culture, there are various forms of ways in which this kind of gets played out. So she identifies these four main areas that all human beings long for. Number one is meaning. Number two is purpose. Number three is intimacy. Number four is ritual. Ritual. So number one, the idea of meaning. All of us as human beings, we need some sort of overarching narrative of our life that tells us, here's the big overarching story. Okay? Uh, so for example, in America, we have this. The American story is freedom. You can do anything that you put your mind to, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a good story. It's, it's not ultimately the Christian story, but it's a good story nonetheless. There are elements that are part of the Christian story. Don't, don't get me wrong in this. But the point that I would make is that it's a story. That if you live according to that, and I would even add, like the social justice movement has an overarching narrative. And within this overarching narrative, what you will find is kind of the question of like, why, what's, what's the purpose of life? What is evil? What is good? Who is our enemy? Where does salvation come from? I mean, you can even look at kind of the, the health and fitness world and say there's an overarching narrative there as well. The overarching narrative is that, you know, big megacorps that make, you know, Monsanto is the big evil that needs to be dismantled. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but the point that I would make is that that's the big evil that needs to be attacked and addressed. And the salvation is found through green smoothies, right? Working out, being healthy, wearing yoga pants, whatever. Um, salvation, and, and, and you're part of a community, and, you know, there's Soul Cycle. If you're part of Soul Cycle, you have like a, a daily, that's your ritual. Every, those are your people. That's your community. Those are your peeps, right? Your gym friends. It's all part of these types of things. Again, every cult, every religion, every ideology has this as its main fabric or fiber that brings together. Christianity is no different than this. Um, the second thing, moving on into purpose, and this kind of becomes more of a personalized, like what is my role in this overarching narrative? 
Again, if you're a social justice warrior, look at, you would look at this and say, the main evil in the world today is white, hegemonic, Christian, male power structures that need to be destroyed because they're all evil. That's the evil. Your role in terms of purpose is to show up at protests and to fight against the evil. And within that frame, you have your community, your people, online, in social media circles. Those are your, that's your community. That's where intimacy is found. Ritual is found by showing up at various things. Again, you can go through any type of idea or ideology, and it will fit this framework. Christianity is the same. It fits this. Christianity would say that meaning comes through this overarching reality that God created all things, and he loves this world that has horribly drifted off into its own vice of sin and evil and destruction and been influenced by the evil one. Purpose comes from identifying, I need God's salvation. He is my savior. He's the one that rescues me and makes all things new. The idea of intimacy or community comes from from y'all, the church, coming together. All forms of different people have vastly different desires and hobbies and looks and body shapes and sizes and colors of skin. And that's called the church coming together, washed and renewed by the blood of Jesus. And then ritual, like what you're doing today, ritual. We gather together. Some of those rituals might involve reading the Bible every single day. It's the idea of it it reconnects you to the bigger storyline, the purpose of who you are in the narrative that is overall things. And this is the big idea. And so what I think Peter's saying is that there are all sorts of things that will try to throw you off into a realm of drift away from this main storyline. And Peter's consistently drawing them back, saying, come back to the story. Realize that as you do that, there will be a struggle. The struggle is suffering. And you'll be tempted to run, to deny, to abandon the faith. To kind of blend in, to compromise convictions, because they're not suitable to the larger, broader culture at large. They don't synchronize or sit well. And as a result of that, what Peter's saying is, don't do that, beloved. Remember who you are. Remember you are loved by God. Remember that suffering is a part of this life. Remember that you are not alone. And then he's going to say, rejoice in the glory that will come. And this is when it gets really, really awesome. Because there's a couple things that he points out here. And I'm going to try to unpack them quickly. Number one, he describes that as you suffer, you are sharing in Christ's suffering. So number one, the very fact that you are seeking to live a lifestyle that is consistent with the life of Jesus, there will be pushback. But your suffering is not alone. You are with the very one. You are looking. Your life is taking on the shape and the form of Jesus. Can you think of anyone better that you want to look like? I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Voltaire. You deny Jesus. I don't care if you're part of the four apocalyptic atheist, modern atheistic movement today. Minus one that just recently passed away a few years ago. But the point of the matter is, is all people, I don't care who you are, all of them would claim some form of affinity towards Jesus. That Jesus is awesome. I might not agree with this message, but Jesus, it's, he is undeniably good. Secular or Christian alike would affirm that. And as we cling to Jesus in the midst of our suffering, Peter's saying that you're you with Jesus. You're suffering 
alongside with Jesus. You're suffering the sufferings of Jesus. You're sharing in the very life of Jesus. The second thing he points out is he describes the idea of, uh, he says, so that you may also rejoice and be glad with the glory that will be revealed. I just want you to pause and think about this. In fact, if you want some extra reading, I would highly recommend just checking out C.S. Lewis's book called The Weight of Glory. You, you have to find that somewhere online. There's places that you can get it for free. Just find the book, The Weight of Glory. Just even read the first chapter, and that alone is worth everything. So good. But the big point is, is that what he is suggesting is that as we suffer in this life and as we remain faithful to Jesus and cling to the life of Jesus, he says that you have a crown of glory. And then he gets into the whole uh, asking the question, like, what exactly is glory? And again, he kind of defines it. He says, glory can either be luminescence, where something is bright and shining and blingy, like a ring, right? It's just blingy, gleaming. It's got glory on it. But he also says glory can also be applied or thought of in terms of bestowing glory or someone uh, just praising someone else. Like, I, I remember when my, my, my kids were young, uh, one of my kids recited a poem or something. I don't even remember what it was. But I remember just, like, praising them. Like, I'm so proud of you. That was so good. And the look on their face was, like, swelled with not like a, a pridefulness like i'm awesome everybody else is horrible where everyone else is just you know be viewed with disdain but it was a it was a pride of like god loves us that's glory that's the glory that peter's saying is that as you remain faithful to jesus one day the glory that is yours is the father over all creation the one opinion in the entire universe that matters that opinion will look at you and say, wow, you faced a lot, you sacrificed a lot, you lost a lot, you grieved a lot. Now enter into my joy. Enter into my rest forever and ever and ever. That's what Peter's Pointing to. The last thing is, in terms of this movement, he points out how the Holy Spirit is with you. Listen to how he describes this. He says, and if you are insulted for the name of Jesus, uh, you are blessed because the spirit of glory rests upon you. Uh, the word spirit of glory, just, just that phrase alone is so powerful. Spirit of glory. Spirit of glory. Um, and I, I believe that Peter's probably thinking, because Peter's Jewish, he knows a lot about the history of the Jewish people. Uh, I'm certain that Peter's thinking about the ancient tabernacle in the wilderness where over the tabernacle um there was a continual glory that was over the tabernacle so when sacrifices were made they're either at nighttime there was a pillar of fire or during the day there was a pillar of cloud and that was oftentimes identified as like the spirit of god the presence of god residing over that tabernacle so it's something in space in time that's located in other words if someone were to walk into the camp of israel people would ask where does god exist they would say god's right there but really they knew that god was even more than that he existed throughout all creation but his his tangible presence over the tabernacle guess where peter's saying that tangible presence of god resides now over you I don't know how that hits you. You're not just an average, normal Joe Schmo or Jane Doe. You are someone that bears the image and the glory of God and the spirit of God, God's presence. The Shekinah, Shekinah, glory resides over you, within you, around you, upon you, through you, from you. It has nothing to do with you. It's just that you are this receptacle. You are this vessel that Paul would use in analogy. He said, we're broken vessels. We leak. But 
within these broken vessels, God pours glory. His, his presence, his spirit into us. And that spirit, again, we know taps into Genesis chapter 1, the very opening chapters of the Bible that describes this presence of God's spirit brings life where there's death, brings freedom where there's enslavement, brings peace where there's nothing but chaos. This is what God's spirit does. And he's saying that as you walk in Jesus and as you encounter suffering, these are things that will end up happening to you. So number one, rejoice. I should say number three, but rejoice in the glory that will come. Uh, next, take a look at number four. Examine the state of your soul. So when you find yourself in a moment of suffering, this becomes a moment to just kind of step back a little bit and ask yourself some questions. Again, in the moment, it's kind of hard to do this, and maybe you need to take a break at some point, kind of step back from it and say, like, what's happening here? What's going on? What's taking place? Not in a sense of self-condemnation, but in a, in a question. Uh, like, what's actually happening? What type of suffering am I actually encountering? And the fact of the matter is, is that there's all forms of suffering. There's, like, natural suffering that can happen to all human beings. We don't really, uh, we can't really define it. We can't predict it. It's just there. It's just part of the unstable world in which we live in. All right? Earthquakes, volcanoes, right? Uh, car crashes, whatever. I mean, again, without getting too morbid, but you get the idea. These are things that we don't really have control over. Um, there are other types of suffering that could happen. Let's say, for example, you drink a little bit too much Friday night, you get in your car, and you uh, commit an accident, or you do a little fender bender, and then now you're sitting in, in jail. That's, that's the suffering that's been brought upon by you. You did that. No one did that to you. You did that to yourself. Again, no judgment or guilt or whatever mounted upon you, but that's, it's, it's important to just acknowledge. You're not a victim. You, you did something, and the consequences of that something are are going to be in a form of suffering. That's the type of suffering that he identifies as well. But there's another form of suffering that will come, that as you are faithful and loyal to Jesus and devote yourself to his ways and let your mind take upon the shape and the ideas and the ideologies that Jesus offers, that in the culture at large, you will find yourself wrestling with various forms of hostilities. I think one of the biggest ones even right now within our culture at large is just the question of, like, gender. The Bible's pretty clear. There are two genders. That's not popular. There are male and there are female. There may be males that I might identify or truly in the depth of the core of who they are as a human being. They might have certain ideas or thought processes that would lead them to identify more with certain feminine traits. I'm not even going to go into that, but I think it's as a follower of Jesus, as someone that anchors our understanding, our thought processes into the uh, scripture— that will not be a popular message. Again, I think there's ways to convey that and to communicate that that are not arrogant or condescending or rude or that demonstrate and show love and kindness to a broader culture at large. At the end of the day, and I think that's absolutely something worthwhile to fight for in terms of that, but the point that forward in our culture and our society, uh, it will become more increasingly all the way to the tomb, from womb to tomb. That's not a popular message within much of our culture at large, that we pointed out very clearly that uh, both unborn child as well as uh, unplanned pregnancy mom are all image bearers of God and are all deserving and worthy of showing love and kindness and care and concern and figuring out creative ways in order to craft means by which they can survive and live and really flourish as human beings. And these are things that, again, at Culture at large are not oftentimes popular. But 
as a follower of Jesus, there's a way to cling to certain biblical truths and recognize that there may be a moment where we have to brace against a pushback against some of these things. What Peter's saying is that as that happens, it, this becomes a moment to examine the state of our soul. What are we really suffering for? What are the circumstances that we find ourselves going through? Again, I'll read the passage. I'll make some final comments. We'll move on to the last one, and we'll be done. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let them not be ashamed. But let them glory in God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly? And this is actually a direct quote from an Old Testament proverb, proverb uh, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 31. But I think the point that he's making here is that this becomes a moment for us to really examine. And then, again, reorient ourselves to make sure that our lives are deeply influenced and shaped by the gospel message. And where we drift, and where we sin, and where we move off into margins that are not part of God's plan, as we find ourselves maybe facing certain consequences, it becomes a moment for us to reorient by repentance, turning back to God, finding the grace that he offers to freely live our lives in this life that we find ourselves in the midst of. So, uh, C.S. Lewis would once describe in the midst of suffering a very powerful quote. Um, some of you are probably familiar with it. I'll read it to you, and I'll move on to the last one. He says, it is because God loves us that he gives us the gift of suffering. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We are like blocks of stone out of which the sculptor carves in forms of men, the forms of men. The blows of his chisel, which hurt us so much, are what make us perfect. And I love this image because at the end of the day, what I think C.S. Lewis is describing is that, yes, there is suffering in this world. There's various forms that we just described. But really, at the end of the day, it becomes like this megaphone to rouse a world, to awaken. And uh, if you've met people that have gone through tremendous amounts of suffering, pain and difficulty and hardship, those become pivotal moments in their life where they may find themselves going one particular pathway. And then in the midst of that suffering, again, it could be self-imposed. It could be brought upon by certain circumstances. It could even be brought upon by something that they, it was beyond their control. Yet those become moments by the way they respond to those to, to make course corrections in their life. They become different people, better people, really, at the end of the day. So lastly, as we finish this up, his final exhortation in verse 19 is to really entrust yourself to God. So again, let's go through these real quick. Number one, remind yourself what to do in the worst day of your life. Number one, remind yourself that you are loved by God. Number two, remember that suffering is a part of this life and you are not alone. Number three, rejoice in the glory that will come. Number four, examine the state of your soul. Number five, entrust your ways to God. Verse 19 says this, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And I think what Peter's writing in terms of reminding these people, is that, look, as you suffer, as these things become real and as things become challenging, difficult, one of the most important things for us to do is to keep re-entrusting ourselves to this God who gave himself for us. This is not us just by our own strength mustering up energy in order to just do stuff on behalf of God, like God's stuff. This is us simply responding to the goodness and the kindness and the grace that God gives. Now, for many of us, especially as the pain gets higher and the challenges get more difficult, and the fire gets more fiery or hot, 
or heated or challenging or difficult, then the sacrifice oftentimes takes upon even a greater cost from us. Um, I've made reference last week, I'll kind of carry on the topic, but I mentioned last week that several years ago I had an issue that happened with my throat where I was facing the need to get surgery. And uh, what I found myself in the midst of that, though, is I would show up at church on Sunday, and I wasn't able to speak. So there was like, uh, I don't know, I don't know how many, it was like seven, eight weeks where the doctor said you can't talk at all. Like, at all. Like, I couldn't even talk to my wife. I actually had, like, a little pad, and we'd text each other, and, and I would, like, write on this little pad, and I would go to Trader Joe's, and all the people would be like, hey, what's up? How's it going, Brian? I'd be like, it can't talk, and, you know, it's just like, yeah, here's what's going on. So I, I literally couldn't talk. I could not use my voice in any form or functional way at all. Um, but I would show up at church on Sunday, and I would, I would sing, though I, I couldn't sing, right? But I remember, I remember that one, there was one song that we would sing, and I, I just remember, like, mouthing it, wanting to sing it, but knowing I can't sing it. And, and I'm just, I remember one time just, like, literally breaking down in tears, saying, I want to sing it. I can't sing it. I don't know if I ever will be able to sing again. It's the song where it goes, all the earth shall praise his name. And I don't know the rest of it. But um, I remember in that moment just, like, melting. Because it's like, this is costing me everything. People would come up. And I got to a point where it's just like, I, I, it was even hard for me to come to church because people, some people that didn't know, like, how come he's not talking to me? Why is he so rude? It's like, I'm not being rude. I can't talk. I literally can't talk. And, but I found myself just like, it's costing me something to worship God, even though my soul is drying up inside. That's what sacrifice is. Sacrifice will cost you something. And the greater the suffering we go through, the more profound it is sometimes for us to say to God, I trust you. You might not see the way through. You might know, not know exactly the path that, for, that future will take. But you can say with all confidence, God, I trust you. You are good. I know you're good. You've been good to generation upon generation upon generation of people prior to me. And you will be good to generation upon generation of people after me. You will always be good. So I will look for your goodness in this moment in my life now. And I, but even though I don't have access to that goodness right now, which I'm clinging on to, I'm still going to profess your goodness now. That statement is costly. Because you don't have it yet. But you're holding, holding tenaciously to it. So with that being said, I think Paul had some great insight and conclusion on all of this that I think is worthy of just considering. Uh, Romans chapter 5, if you want, you can open up there. Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. I just want to read it to you. I have it up on the screen. You can follow along. But I want to make some final observations on this. And what, what Paul is doing is he's basically identifying, just kind of like what Peter did, uh, when suffering comes, there is a variety of ways in which we can uh, handle suffering and respond to suffering. Here's what Paul says, that suffering, when it comes, that it can do in terms of uh, projection or possibilities if you respond to it in a proper way. And again, I think all of us, to just pause and step back, I think all of us know people in life that have gone through various forms of suffering. Some people, they come out the other end of it, and they're like, wow, amazing. Like, you want to be around them. You want to talk to them. They're filled with a degree of compassion and kindness and carefulness and goodness and generosity like you've never met before. And then there's other people that are like cantankerous and angry and grumpy and just frustrated with everything and cynical. Have you ever met that person? I mean, I think we've all been there. We've all experienced that. And, and again, you, 
what C.S. Lewis again would describe is that hell, he says hell actually begins with a grumbling mood. Just pause and think about that. That's, that sentence alone is massive. It begins with a grumbling mood that you never get out of. Just fast forward 50 years. That grumbling mood metastasizes into something really dubious and destructive. And we all met those people. You might live next door to some of them. You might be married to one of them. But here's the beautiful thing. There's a way out of all, out of, all of that. There's freedom. Every single time, every step along the way, no matter what type of action we find in life, there's always a way out of that into the freedom that Jesus offers. This is what Paul says, and I'm done with some final thoughts. We boast in the glory and the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I know some of you guys probably woke up this morning and you're like, man, what I really want is a chart. You're welcome. I'm going to give you a chart. Here's a chart. <laughs> you thought I was joking. So as I was thinking about this, like, like I, w- I want to just kind of break this down. I'm a visual type of a guy, and I think in pictures oftentimes, and this is kind of a really bad picture that I had, like, 20 minutes to kind of put together. So this is the image that I have. So suffering kind of takes on like a, like a fork in the road. So uh, really, it's kind of a three-pronged fork, but I'll, for the sake of time, just kind of go through two of these. One is the positive side. It's going to ultimately lead to what he describes as hope, which hope is actually anchored in glory. So it's all the same thing that what Peter, it's the exact same thing that Peter said, but he's saying that suffering will, will either lead to perseverance. So what is perseverance? Perseverance is applying those five things that we just described. It's five things. Remind yourself of the love of God. Remind yourself you're not alone. Blah, blah, blah. You go through all that. Uh, then, then you do that on repeat over and over and over again. You surround yourself with people that are just like that, that are reminding you of the hope of the glory of God, the love of God, the kindness of God. You're part of this family. You're part of this unity. We have meaning and purpose and value and community and hope and ritual. You do this over and over again. That will begin to shape you. We call that character. And that character produces hope. The same is also true on the other end, that suffering will produce either apathy, or you're just like, ah, whatever. I don't really care. I'll just go scroll on social media for endless cycles over and over. I'll just distract it away. Apathy or anger, which is kind of like, I can't believe this happened to me. How dare God do this to me? And we go down in a cycle. It's the same. But again, then that leads to corruption, which, again, the way I'm thinking about corruption is the opposite of character. Character is, think of uh, integrity and honesty and goodness. Corruption is like a distortion of something that's good. It's a distortion. Now, we can, we can, we can um, cover that up. We can uh, mask it. We can act as if we're actually people of character, but in reality, we're just ruthless people that just are, are, are really broken deeply inside. And that leads to this final stage of despair. So suffering. What, what will you do on the worst day of your life? How you answer this matters. It's one of the most important questions for you to process and think through. We all suffer. Like, none of us will outflank suffering. But when it happens to us, what choices that we make in the midst of that will actually shape us in the long run in terms of the type of people that we will end up becoming? So what I want to do right now in closing, I want to invite us to just 
all stand. And I want to just end on a note of consideration. So let's all stand. And in this moment, I want for you to just think about, like, what are areas in your life right now that you have either suffered, maybe you've not done it well, maybe you are in a process of suffering, there's something happening or something, obviously, in the future. Right now becomes a moment to just bring it all before God and just say, God, I want to suffer in a way that shapes me the likeness of Jesus. So at the end will be hope and glory. Not despair, not anger, not frustration, but an image that looks like you. And at the end of the day, I would say that is the most humanizing path. The other one is dehumanizing. It leads to a deep brokenness, a deep ache that maybe some of us are even experiencing right now. But like I said earlier, no matter where you're at on that path, even if you've already begun down the pathway of apathy and anger, there's hope from that path back to a path of health and healing and wholeness in Jesus by confession of sin, acknowledging it, turning from it, asking others to maybe around you, pray for you, to ask God's empowerment over you, the Holy Spirit to come live in you so that you become a source of life and goodness and hope. So let me pray right now. I want you all to close your eyes. And just in this moment, just take a few seconds to just confess to God any of those areas that you see that need to be brought up. Just in your own heart and quietness there, just bring them to the forefront. Maybe even lay them at the feet of Jesus and just saying, this is it. This is the filth, the anger, the apathy, the frustration, the hurt, the hopelessness, the despair, the guilt, shame, regret. Lay these down at your feet. Jesus says, we bring before you our broken selves, our battered selves, our wounded selves. We thank you, Jesus, that in this room that there is hope for every single soul. That you will make all things new. That's the story that we place our confidence in. And it's from that that we find our sense of purpose, that we want to live. And within that context, we find our community, our people tribe. And from that, God, we consistently want to enter back into those rituals, those practices that remind us afresh who we are. God, all of this is not anything that we've earned, we've merited, we've even deserved, but has been showered upon us by your grace freely alone. And for that, Lord, we just say thank you. So be with my brothers and sisters now. So God, as we scatter, may the image of your holy presence, your Holy Spirit over each one of our lives carry us. North County, South County, San Luis Obispo, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our workspaces. God, that we would be people that show forth the goodness and the beauty and the kindness of Jesus. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. We all said, amen.